Hi, everyone. Before we get going on this episode, I do want to post a disclaimer here, uh, letting y'all know that this episode was recorded prior to the public knowledge of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So please keep that context in mind as I ask specific questions about what Dane wants to discuss um, as far as what he wants to tell the world today and those types of things. Um, This was during COVID-19 quarantining, but it was prior to those events. Dane and I both condemn the murders of both of those people. And we have a great appreciation of our black colleagues and black culture and black culture specifically is, is a large reason for my love of sports design. The contributions uh, to sneakers, to music and hip hop, and my sort of entry into discovering sports design through Slam Magazine and the writings of Scoop Jackson. So definitely wanted to post that here and say that we love y'all, uh, we value you as human beings, and yeah, so please keep that in mind, uh, that context prior to this episode starting. Makers of Sport Podcast, episode 107 with Dane Storston. Welcome to episode 107 of Makers of Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. On this episode, we've got a man of many talents, a Southern California native and multidisciplinary designer who has done work in television and film, designed user interfaces and product experiences for Microsoft, award-winning products and equipment in the golf industry, as well as television title cards, and NFL brand identities. His work has been honored by the Clio Sports Awards, Golf Digest, the SportsLogos.net Reader Awards, and the Seattle True Independent Film Festival. He has four patents and has been an entrepreneur, freelancer, and in-house creative working on all sides of the business, from brand to agency to sports organization. For the past couple of years, he's been a senior creative director at The Shield in Los Angeles, where he leads a team of designers on design, branding, digital and television experiences, events, and more. Most recently, he was involved with the identity redesign of the new Los Angeles Chargers brand. I'm very happy to welcome to the podcast, Dane Storston, also known online as Gridiron Labs and senior creative director at the NFL. Welcome to the show, Dane. Hey Adam, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Super excited. Yeah, man, you're a bit of you're you're an eclectic dude. You've uh, you've had quite the career. I remember at one point in time you tw- I can't remember if you tweeted this or what, but you were once involved. It was it an episode of MacGyver or something like that. <laughs> Funny. Uh, well, not no, that's not entirely true. Um, uh, I. Th- that's really funny that you picked up on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to be careful what I post, you know? Uh, no. So when I was a kid, uh, when I was in middle school, actually, 
everybody, and I'm talking like moms in grocery stores, would walk up to me and be like, oh my God, it's a little MacGyver. Okay. <laughs> he looks just like MacGyver. And so I, that was my experience growing up. And I don't know if it was my haircut or what it was, but um, yeah, so I always, my whole life up until I was probably in high school, I was told I looked like MacGyver or his son or whatever. <laughs> no um, kidding, man. The actor's son. Yeah. So now, uh, where are you from? You, where, where did you grow up at? I grew up originally in Montana. Really? Um, yeah, I've, I grew up in Great Falls, Montana, town of about 100,000 people uh, at the time, and uh, moved, yeah, moved to Seattle, Washington for a little bit to go to school when I was 17, and uh, did a, did a two, three-year program out there, and lived out there for a bit, and then moved down to Southern California. Gotcha. Now, I, 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 I sort of just assume you were from Southern California, so you did a little bit of... Um, uh, you went to obviously an art institute and majored in graphic design, advertising, and commercial illustration. And you did a little bit of film work, right? Or acting, or well, yeah. Uh, I, I think that was really more of a. I was just surrounded by people doing uh, that who were producers and writers, and and I just kind of end up finding myself in in films, like reluctantly, obviously. Uh, and then really, I was there to do a lot of the visual effects work. So some of this stuff was okay. Um, uh, really, I was I was part of the art direction team and, and doing visual effects, but they also needed you know a store manager uh, with three lines or whatever, and I'd go in and, and do this, and I could kind of work my way around the you know a, a camera a little bit uh, just because I'm around you know these people. Uh, once I moved down to <clears throat> excuse me, once I uh, moved down to Southern California, anyway, and so I kind of find my found myself like dabbling in that a little bit, but that's really not my core. Um, my core background. So yeah. when I when when I went to school, uh, visual communications, I, I was really an illustrator. Ultimately, I mean, I went to school as as kind of a fine artist, hoping to commercialize my fine art somehow. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I was really dead set on doing illustration as a career um, <laughs> at one point in the late nineties, yeah. dating myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, and then I could not have planned anything else in the rest of my career uh, to date beyond probably six months. Yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, man, you've had it. You've had a. You've had quite the journey. So you after it's kind of funny, and I, I, um, I actually have an IMDb page. <laughs> well. well, I don't know if yeah. it's a page, but I've got a credit. Um, I've got a buddy who who um, uh, was really into film and moved out to California, went to, went to SCAD, uh, moved out to California to, Oh, uh, nice. To, you know, be, he was really, a wanted to be a director and, and now he, he does, um, he's like a, uh, has a company that shoots like all these major spots for, uh, he gets, he's a production company. So he gets outsourced to, uh, by these big, huge ad agencies, right? Like, uh, uh, stink digital and, uh, all these sort of major, uh, uh, I think he's done some stuff for RGA and, and I was a, I was a backup in his movie. <laughs> um, uh, the summer after I graduated college, he was like, yeah, can you come shoot this thing for just a couple hours today? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Dude, it ended up being a whole summer. I, I spent like, it was almost every day. He was like, yeah, we're going to shoot again tomorrow. I'm like, dude, I'm not even getting paid for this. This is insane. He's like, but we need you. You're already in too many like pivotal scenes. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It just feels You're like, like that's what if the this culture, blows up? right? It yeah. just feels like that. I, I, I assume that to be the culture of like Southern, <laughs> Southern Cal. It really is. Yeah. I mean, dude, yeah. I, the, I know two directors, really talented guys. One's all into really, really, uh, you know, 
cult kind of horror movies and the other one's uh, action movie guy or whatever. And so they, they're doing their own projects all the time. And I, I, again, reluctantly found myself like helping them out in a role here and there just to kind of get by. But I was really interested in helping them on the design side of it, you know, doing the opening credit sequences and the titles and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, as was really why I ended up working with them initially. But were you uh, were you into following um, like Saul Bass and kind of like the old school? Because you know RGA kind of started in that that space. Yeah, yeah. Pro- Prologue was a big yeah, uh, yeah. was big at the time. Uh, they they still are, but they were kind of the, the talk of the town at, at least at that time. And um, blue, yeah, that, that kind of blew me Cooper, away. Like the guy's name that yep. started, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean everybody's worked at Prologue. I think anyone who's who's done motion design in the LA area has probably yeah. touched Prologue at some point. Um, but yeah, it, that was really interesting to me too. And it, and even visual effects, I have no idea why I had an inkling to to give that a shot. And I'm talking about taking scenes where you know you need to remove these things out of the scene and insert an explosion and um, or have some kind of you know alien tactor beam come down and and you know zap something you know these kinds of things it was right. just I, it felt like a challenge and i was like i know i could do that i know you know i i can get in there and make that look real and there was some something in me that wanted to do it and i have no i had no like insight as to that being a part of my career or paying off for me in any way shape or form it was just i felt like i could do it and i'd been playing in after effects a lot and a little bit of 3d and it, it just seemed like a good, uh, good way to exercise some some muscles. It feels it feels like that era, man. Like that sort of early two thousands, um, late nineties era. The, yeah. the web itself was so motion based because you think about Flash, and you had yeah. these incredible. <laughs> every website was just people that were doing stuff in Flash. Everything was like a piece of art. Now it obviously wasn't very usable from a UX perspective. Yeah, but I, I miss that aspect of the web man everything just had so much more character it didn't look like a template yeah absolutely yeah got so many great stories being told i mean learning how to kind of cut together uh, uh some kind of narrative i mean you're basically making short movies in a lot of ways and i and think some of those guys transitioned into like cinema they'll get the guy from uh, uh if you remember the company called two advanced Oh, of course. Um, I had I had one of the creative directors on early on in, uh, in the in the podcast named Shane Milkey. Um, yeah. He uh, but the but the founder of that company, a guy named Eric Jordan, he lives in New Zealand now, and he works in visual effects. So he sort oh, of took wow. that talent to to uh, to that world. But let's let's talk. Let's touch on uh, let's touch on your experience at Microsoft, man. So you ended up at Microsoft as a UX designer slash motion designer. Um, I'm curious how that how that transpired you got to work with a few brands there and then just from the from the whole digital aspect of things because you 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 definitely have like this ui vibe early in your career yeah yeah for sure and i mean again i started as an illustrator so i got thrown into my first job i won't spend too much time on that but i ended up just doing illustrations for the web uh and then through that experience just kind of learning about the web and how to get you know mock my own pages up and um that, that sort of stuff. We were building like courseware, I think. I, so I spent some time on a government contract with the military doing um, building simulations that would go online and be a part of these courses that um, officers, like 30 and 40 level officers, would take before they went out in the field. And so this would be disassembling MK-19 rocket launchers and uh, howitzer firing orders and, you know, 
tank operations and things like that. And I'd be, I was a photographer, a motion designer, uh, 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 like an instructional designer a little bit because I had to kind of put these things together in such a way that they're easy to learn. Um, and so that kind of got me into the, I, I guess the term that we used back then was multimedia yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, of, of, you know, getting into digital and playing with animation and, and how, how does information, how do people use information and comprehend it and so on. So a little bit of the start of user experience before it was really a thing. And then I, I ended up leaving there and going to Microsoft on a contract. It was a three month contract originally, and it was an incubation team. So it was, working with the Microsoft Research Group, um, coming up with just random crazy ideas on what's the new photo experience for the 2000s, you know. uh, Just like a tech futures sort of skunk works gig or something. totally, totally. And we would just riff on ideas. We had a small team. It was kind of like a pod. So there's two designers. There was two writers. There was two, you know, developers, a couple project managers, and that it was a pretty small team, and all we did was just come up with with new product ideas that kind of fit Microsoft's you know basic values at the time and uh, in the entertainment division specifically. And um, so a lot of consumer software, uh, you know, products. And so I would end up being the guy that helped visualize the ideas. So I'd be doing storyboards um, to, to kind of help tell the story to sell it up through the company, and then. Uh, I put these little motion pieces together, which now are called explainer videos, but they were yeah. <laughs> that's essentially what they were back then. Uh, and just demos, really, really detailed demos of how the software would work. And we'd use Flash, of course, uh, pretty heavily and uh, After Effects to get that done. And we worked on everything from, you know, uh, like I said, consumer software to things like Microsoft Surface, what, what became Microsoft Surface. And right. At that time, it was the uh, the quote unquote big ass table. I don't know if you remember that uh, in two thousand five or six. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, it was so. the big flat table that they made that was multi touch. You could approach it from any angle. Multiple people could use it at the same time. It was yeah. super uh, organic kind of interactions, and uh, even had it had uh, infrared cameras in it that could see physical objects. So you could set an object down, and it, that's you know the the display would be able to see that object, and you know. Mm-hmm pull content around it and that kind of thing. So it was really cool and very different. Again, something I could have never planned to work on. And I ended up doing all the demos for the launch for that, um, uh, working with a Flash developer and uh, uh, trying to think of the language, but uh, just a, you know, a regular software developer. Right. And, uh, and uh, the three of us really put together some of those original demos I'll, I'll have to send them to you at some point they're kind of funny to see now but <laughs> what what were you were you designing those in photoshop and then moving them into after effects to show the motion aspect or like were you into wireframing and that whole kind of like product design pro like you know what we know today is the product design process yes yeah it was very product design heavy it was lots and lots of wireframing and, and low fidelity uh storyboards as i said Lots of storyboards, lots of wireframing, and then some of the like. Once we got into like, oh, we need to make this look like it's a polished app or something like that, we go into Photoshop and block it out, and then pull it into After Effects because we needed to show some of the interactions. And we would actually hand MOV files over to the developers and say, "This is kind of how we imagine the thing unfolding." And and just to give you an idea, like one of the photo apps was you could set your digital camera down on the surface, and all the photos from that camera would transfer automatically and spill out from the camera onto the screen. 
Yeah. And these photos would be scattered everywhere. They wouldn't be organized in a grid or anything. They'd be scattered like you'd throw photos on a table. And so you could just start grabbing them and resizing them and rotating them. And Yeah, I remember that, man. I remember that, like commercials, television commercials with that. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was it. That was us working on that, three people. That was actually, that whole 2003, you know, the, the, the years that you were there from 03 to 09, technology changed a ton during that time. Because, you know, you got to think the introduction of the iPhone at some point in there. Yeah, that was all a secret at some point. There was, there was uh, we, I remember them telling us, like, don't go searching for patents on Apple's new touch phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now when I think about it, I sound so old. But, like, yeah, I remember that. They were like, make sure you don't go look at any patents. Um, we have to kind of keep our IP clean and squeaky yeah. clean or whatever. And so, uh, and ours was much, much different. Obviously the, the, you know, the form factor was way different, but I, hardware was a big part of this too. Like we had to figure out like, is this thing a coffee table? Is it a, a is it a working desk? Is it, what is this thing? It's a piece of furniture. Now, right. Exactly. You know? And so we got, that's what really got me into maybe fit the physical industrial design side of things too. Cause you had to build these two, you know, software experience and this hardware experience that kind of work together. Um, and, and became a sort of seamless experience. And so that's where I've actually met David originally the first time the, the guy ended up being business partners with later uh, in, in our agency. But uh, that's what got me like, wow, there's more to this. And so I wasn't even thinking about who I was as a designer or anything. I was just saying yes to everything. I love that, man. You can tell with your career because like you've been able to do so many things. So were you you went to school in Washington and then went to California and then came back to Washington? Uh, no, I I mostly stayed out in Washington during okay. that time. I I was out in Microsoft. I ended up working remotely uh, at Microsoft from California. Gotcha, gotcha. So your last couple years, you were you were in California, but still working for Microsoft. Yeah, I think three years I was remote, which I. Again, was you know super blessed yeah, no to kidding, have been man. able to do that because because nobody got to do that and uh, everybody hated me by the end of it because they were like, why don't yeah. we get to go move wherever <laughs> we want? And, you know. Yeah. So you went and spent some time for a couple years as a design principal at a company working on robot interfaces before launching your own company with uh, with this guy who you mentioned, David. His name is David Morlock. Who, uh, for the listeners, he ha- he is a uh, he owns a. Uh, Owns a design agency that's focused on product design, industrial design, called uh, now called Southern California Design Company. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, you you guys sort of just decided to um, link up and and launch a business. Yeah, yeah. He I uh, think he left on to California before I did, and uh, he was always involved in IP and doing stuff, you know, on the side and. No way a corporate job was ever enough for him, you know. Either yeah. so he was always <laughs> cooking up something, and and uh, he moved down to California. He had a, him and his dad were designing like a sailboat, <laughs> I think, at the time, uh, while he was doing this other stuff with Microsoft. And so, anyway, uh, he moved down. I ended up moving down to work remote uh, f- with Microsoft for a while, and then. Once I left the company, I, of course, I had a lot of relationships being there for six or seven years. And so Microsoft called back a few times and said, hey, we'd love to you know, bring you on, on contract for this project or whatever. And one of, the, one of them was a, a kind of a robot interface that they were designing some kind of autonomous robot. And uh, I think I could talk about it now, 10 yeah. years later. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And again, I was like, sure. 
you know, whatever. That sounds interesting. And so what they wanted me to do was come in and actually design the the interface. It was voice-based. What was the language? What was the language for this robot? How did you get it to do things? And what's the hierarchy of commands? And uh, what shows up on the the face of this thing uh, at at certain points throughout? So it was a whole experience, right, around some, some kind of consumer-based robot. I won't go into too much detail because it's kind of boring. But um, So I did a ton of storyboarding and communication around that, just, just, just really storytelling around how to interact with this thing and what features kind of popped up when. It was, like was kind of like journey mapping, really heavy journey mapping, uh, a day in the life of this thing. Like, what does it do when, it's, when you're not interacting with it? You know, what does it do when you're... Uh, when you get home, when you walk in the door or something. So it was, you know, there's, again, really things that didn't have a reference point, uh, you know, in the industry that you could rely on. It was just, you had to sort of make some of this stuff up a little bit and test it out yourself and whatever. And so I, I did that uh, for a bit because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then shortly after that, I linked up with David and we we put together Soul Cake and Wanted really an agency that was was rooted in what we like to do and and uh, was, was uh, focused on products, brands, and experiences. It was kind of the three uh, pillars that we had, and uh, and we worked on everything uh, at at Soul Cake. We worked uh, we worked on sporting goods like like mm-hmm. golf clubs. Uh, we designed headphones, like consumer headphones. Um, we did worked with healthcare companies. We worked with aerospace companies. It just kind of all over the map. It was a blast. You know, it was well. And and you you uh, you also were obviously a part of the business development side of things. I mean, how does that? How did you even? You know, coming from an in house role where you're not having to go solicit new business, how do you even learn how to basically drum up new clients? Oh God, it was so hard. Uh, it, it was so hard. It was more instinctual than anything. Uh, the more I thought about it, the worse I was at it. I feel yeah. like. <laughs> so yeah, you spend six or seven years or whatever at a, at a company in house. So much of that work just sits on the shelf and never sees the life, light of day, and it, it gets really you know it eats at you. Um, and so when we went into the you know the, this new agency, and you could talk about what you were working on for the most part, it, it was really refreshing. And and but the business development side of it really just came from relationships. Um, people I'd worked with at Microsoft had gone off at that time and worked at other companies and, or even a couple of companies by that time. Um, and they all came calling back. And I think they were just looking at like, well, this guy can kind of do a little bit of everything. So he's a good place to start. Um, he could, you know, if we need storyboards, if you need some, uh, you need to do a pitch for a project, he could help with that. If you needed just a, just a, a, a sort of an explainer video, he could pull that together somehow <laughs> or whatever. And so I got called for anything and everything. And it was really just the relationships I had set up from the past that started the business development, like Q, right. I guess for me. And then I just held on to those and tried to make more out of them. And so the healthcare company that we worked with was called CareFusion at the time. They uh, ended up becoming more like a retainer client. So we kind of hung on to them. They had a lot of interesting things going on, both hardware and software related. That's steady money, Um, man. (laughs) And yeah, so we, I mean, but it got really dry after a while and to the point where we're like, ah, you know, they're not. I don't, are they getting much value out of us? Like we come and do these great projects in a, in a month or two, and then we just kind of see the same habits over and over again. And great people, great people, but it's just a big organization that moves slowly. And and what you know, 
it's kind of out of everyone's control a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was fun. It was fun while it lasted. And, and I think David had the similar thing going on on his side where he had like a couple sporting goods companies or action sports companies um, that he was working with. And uh, I remember Alltech Lansing was one of them before they closed their doors. Uh, a lot of work with them. And companies like Zag and iFrogs that made phone cases. I mean, we did everything that we could get our hands on at that time. Yeah, I'm familiar with all of these all of these names because I remember uh, I, listeners may may listen to this and it may seem like I know David. It's because Dane introduced me to him a few years back and I did a little work for him. But yeah, <laughs> um, man, you know one thing I've always admired about you is you uh, is this sort of uh, multidisciplinary. You are very multidisciplinary as a designer, and I appreciate that as someone that has worked in UX and UI, and also brand. Yeah, and you also do too. Sort of, and yeah. you know, and and so when I see people like that, I immediately feel this connection because it's like you sort of you, you almost feel like you are the you can you can be pigeonholed as like this jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing. Yeah, and, and but I. I, you know, and honestly, when you're an entrepreneur, you almost have no choice, right? I mean, you have to just wear all these different hats. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, it, it almost seems like you became multidisciplinary by accident, right? So uh, through your career, but now you are uh, talented in all of these different disciplines. In hindsight, would you look at people today and say that, and and encourage them to become multidisciplinary or or you know we see Silicon Valley in the in the whole uh, product design world and even in sp- in sports design right you have all these yeah. designers that are only doing social graphics and they can only kind of think and they'll be like I don't design logos I design social and to me that was always a bizarre mindset yeah can you speak to that some where do you stand on that yeah that's a great question uh, I, I never was it a plan obviously to to try to do everything. Uh, as you said, industry changed a whole bunch in my time span, and we'll probably do that again for designers who are kind of starting right now. And so my advice is always like, just don't try so hard to control it. Um, try new things for sure. I always try new things. I, I'm a big fan of, of playing to your strengths as well and kind of knowing what you're good at and doubling down on that. But you don't figure that out for a while. Like you just, it's really hard to figure that out right out of school. And I felt like I had to do all these different things and, and I had a blast doing them too. That it, It's all a process, right? Like you, 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 one thing kind of leads you to another thing and you could have never, you know, expected that. And so I, that's what I'm really thankful for. And that's what, the, that's the value I got out of it more so than now having a bunch of skill sets that I maybe use 20% of. Uh, it was more like the journey of, hopping from one thing to another because of the position I put myself in, you know, to say yes to something I had no idea what, how to do. Um, and then I'd go off and figure it out. But so it's interesting recently, I think that, um, there was a time where there's a whole like Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours sort of, you know, theory on things and focus on this one thing and do it so much. But this guy recently wrote this book, this guy named David Epstein wrote this book called Range. And the subtitle was Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read it, but I've listened to him on enough podcasts where I sort of understand the 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 theory of it. And it's, it's kind of like this, once you go deep in one thing, um, it doesn't actually, actually take you that long to grasp the basic concepts of another thing so if you're transitioning from like say um you know for in my case print design to into web design to then into more overarching kind of brand creative and seeing how the brand touches everything did you find that to be true on your journey yeah absolutely that's a really good point um yeah definitely when the constructs are kind of the same 
right? It's just the medium is different usually. Uh, and I think it came, for me, it, it came from a place of wanting more control. Like when I was working with developers and stuff for years and years, and I, I'm not knocking developers. I, I love a lot of them and a lot of them are my friends, yeah. but I, they couldn't develop what I wanted them to develop. Like, they could <laughs> Dude, never I can get it right. So much, man. Yeah, it just I was like, oh, just so much compromise, so much talk about you know cost and uh, line items in a spreadsheet, and I was just like, I just uh, I needed to work this way, and so I got to the point where I just I just do it myself. I'll figure out a way to do it myself, and. To this day, like building my own site and things like that, although it's very easy nowadays to do it, like all that came from a, a need to just kind of have some control over right. the end product. I was really tired of doing a bunch of conceptual development and having it kind of fall off a cliff somewhere. And yeah, one of the one of the worst things is sending over your design mockups, <laughs> and yeah. then when the thing gets produced, you know, on the front end, like the pixel. Like, it's all over the place, you know? It's like, did you not even, I actually mapped out and was like, dude, this is like 28 pixels from here to here, and under that, it's 28 pixels, and you didn't pay any attention to that. Yeah, I took time <laughs> doing the spec for you, dude, and like, you didn't look at it. Yeah, I I went back the other day, actually, it was really funny. I, I dug back into some of my old projects. I'm not sure what took me there, but I think I was looking for an example I was going to share with with one of our designers at the at the league, and and I started looking through some of my work and I was like, oh my God, the time and effort and blood, sweat and tears I put into <laughs> explaining something so simple to somebody else that was going to have to make this thing that they probably never paid any attention to. And it's like right. these beautiful schematics of, of interaction design, you know, starting from point A to point Z um, and everything in between with, you know, descriptions and uh, call outs and all these things, you know, kind of built in. And I was like, damn, like so much of my career has been spent on just trying to explain what I set out to do, you know, yeah. <laughs> to somebody else. Uh, and I think that's frustrating. Uh, but also I learned so much by doing that. It's, it's really a skill I think to pick up that you can actually articulate a design down to the details and understand how it's being built and understand what the manufacturing process is like and or, or the software development process is like and, and um, knowing those nuances is really invaluable you know right uh, when you're going out to get hired especially but yeah and part of me almost thinks that that's just like like there's a little bit of entrepreneurial mentality in there, right? It seems like most entrepreneurs kind of have that, you know what, I'll just do it myself. I feel like I can do it better. There's a little less bureaucracy. We'll yeah. just make this thing work. And, you know, I don't have to, you know, I've done I've done so many crazy things uh, just by way of YouTube videos. Like, oh, even yeah. things like fixing something on my truck, right? I'm not, I'm not a car guy at all. My dad would be blown away even, you know, that I would even do this because he's he was always more into cars and sort of you learn by doing and fixing things with your hands and all this. But I was I never wanted anything to do with them. But now I'm at the point where I've changed things in my <laughs> in my yeah. truck or or done things around the house that are totally just like handyman things that I'm so blown away that I'm able to do because eventually it's just like I just rather do it than pay somebody to do it. Let's just get it done. Yeah, and it demystifies it too. It, you kind of put that <laughs> yeah. stuff on a pedestal for a while, and then once you kind of crack it open, it's like, yeah, I yeah. can do this, and I can use it for my needs, you know. And and uh, but I will say, like, I would have loved to have spent. Don't get me wrong, I'd have loved to have spent that time all on something that I feel like is my biggest strength. 
right. too. So I, I, I have a little bit of mixed feelings about it. Um, I, I look at guys like, you know, like Frazier, for instance, or somebody, I'm like, do you sleep? You know, like, how do you, oh, yeah. like, dude, like you just, you go on this rabbit hole and you just create, 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 create. And it's all in his style and all exactly what he wants to do. And I'm like, that's the ticket right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, um, and he'll shift. The thing that gets me is he'll shift, to st- like he'll shift styles. Like this new stuff he's doing is completely like the sort of rounded shapes. And yeah. It's like he has this ability to illustrate in multiple styles. It's it's very uh, infuriating for someone that is just jealous of, uh, hey, of dude, talent. I hear you, man. I hear you. <laughs> so so um, you eventually would go on to become creative director at a design agency called Conrad and King, but simultaneously you launched your own personal studio moniker, which you continue to use today, called Gridiron Labs. Yeah. And and I want to say this is. It almost feels like this is where things took off. For you, from a recognition perspective, specifically in sports design, because there were—I uh, remember—that is about the time that I started Makers of Sport, and so you sort of just start oh, seeing yeah. people out there and what they're doing. And there were two projects in particular um, that stand out to me. One was this experiential football leagues branding called the uh, FXFL, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's actually the first thing that got you on my radar. Uh, I know that that went on to win at the Clio Sports Awards. And then later you launched a helmet, a football helmet concept, which was an absolutely incredible case study. And I'll post this in the show notes for people to view. Uh, that was essentially was industrial design of a, of a future, what the future of a football helmet would and probably should look like, uh, the branding of it, and the future tech. So I'm curious, did these projects set in motion a chain of, of events or at the very least a fork in the road from your current path that led you to the NFL? And if so, could you discuss... Uh, if they were pivotal to your career as far as gaining recognition and building that kind of sports design specific portfolio and following? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That was definitely a turning point. I would say 2014, 15 was a turning point for me where I started to go, man, I'm just, uh, I'm tired of learning a new thing every day, you know, going to work with this healthcare company or this aerospace, like, you start from ground zero with every project and it's not necessarily stuff I had a like passion for. And and it wasn't like, you know, my soul wasn't in it necessarily every single project. And I was like, man, like I, I really want to find a way to connect my passion and, and my design skills. I always thought I could just get by on my design skills and that would fulfill my creative passion and, and I could apply it to anything. And I wasn't entirely true. I found myself kind of going like, ah, I just don't want to even do this project now. And, and, and I just want it to be done with and get to the next one. And I, sat, I was like, that's no way to be thinking. I'm doing like my clients a disservice too, if, if that's kind of what I'm feeling inside, even though right. I could, you know, I'd still de- you know, deliver high, high quality deliverables and all that stuff. But like, I just felt like it was a disservice uh, to do it. And I'd always had a love for sports and, um, but it was a very much a background and kind of um, leisure thing for, for me. And so, and everybody has a story in sports design where they you know, have notebooks full of, you know, NFL or MLB or NBA logos that they were drawing when they were kids. Right, and right. I had the same thing. I used to make my own jerseys uh, when I was a Collecting kid. Collecting cards growing up. Oh, all yeah. That, all oh, all of it. Yeah, we'd play Which is coming back, funny enough. Cards? Yeah. Card collection. It's like hardcore right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. Oh, God. I'm in trouble, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. We're in big trouble. Um, But yeah, I'd make my own jerseys. I'd buy those old Hanes white t-shirts and and, draw the script athletics on the front of it and my favorite player on the back. And I'd 
I was really into that stuff, and I didn't even think about it. It was just something I did. And so I was like, how do I get back to that? And so I started just make coming up with my own projects. I, I worked with these agencies, and we had a million things going on. And on the side, I kind of ended up doing some of the sports stuff. I'd redesign an NFL team or um, uh, just just getting back into sports logos uh, and, and things. And that really, that was like a savior for me. It was just getting back into the things that were simple. I could wrap my head around it. I don't need to explain it to anybody. I don't need to hand it off to someone else to finish it. I can do all of this and and tell the story and you know share it. There's lots of cool sharing platforms at the time too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was easy to talk about. It just came easily, I suppose. Um, and it just wasn't so heavy. You know, I just I was I was tired of the heavy process of everything and uh, of, in the product design world, namely, and right. all the bureaucracy and all the just commit designed by committee and all this stuff that had been going on and, and I needed a break from it and so that was kind of the the thing and so everything I, I did with sports was really ultimately for myself I mean the the helmet concept and the um uh, the FXFL, or I guess the stuff that led to the FXFL and A11FL kind of rebrands were all uh, just, yeah, me trying to, you know, get out of my own head a little bit and get some things on paper I'd been thinking about for a while. And, you know, some really cool partners came out of that, uh, kind of helped kind of get me into those 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 projects. And those are just not more things I just said yes to. And I kind of did those on the side. Really, mm-hmm. um, those weren't a part of my, you know, the agencies I was with at the time. Right, um, I just kind of did those on my own, and and it felt really good so, to be able. So to your day to day was probably still managing and designing websites and whatnot at that Conrad and King, right? Yeah, it was still pro, you know, heavy like kind of business. Stra- it was it was more like business strategy and explainer videos and software business to business stuff, um, and you know, a little bit dry subject matter wise to be honest um, right. I, I still was able to make them somewhat enjoyable but I ended up doing a lot of that work too I didn't really have a, a big team to work with so I ended up doing a lot of the hands-on work too which I wasn't excited about I was hoping to kind of more manage a team uh, at, at that time that was kind of where my head was at and uh, and so I did this uh, the stuff on the side and yeah started to kind of pick up and it was really easy to share things in the sports design community was great um you know guys like yourself and frazier and the bozaks and the you know everyone was just sharing a lot of stuff and it was really inspiring to me at the time too and i it just got me going really yeah honestly and and it's like you found the sense this place where you belong eventually yeah i was was like this is it this is the thing that i've always i've always wanted to do and i just didn't think there was a job for it I just didn't think there was a job for just a sports designer. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like I thought you had to be a designer that had all this experience doing these other things, and the subject matter was sport. Happened to be sports, you know? Right. And uh, wasn't that's not the case, you know? Obviously, and and uh, so uh, yeah, I got way more into that, and to, to the point where there was just a natural shift. I I quit my agency job. I just up and quit it one day. I was like, I want to do sports stuff. Didn't have a plan really, but I was busy doing sports design work um you know these projects didn't pay a lot they certainly didn't pay anywhere near what the product design work i was oh, doing yeah. was paying yeah, not no even <laughs> not even in the same yeah neighborhood but um i didn't care i was like this is what i want to do and it comes easily and i think about it all the time can't stop thinking about it um you know it'll come you know the project something will come up I'm not too worried about it 
if yeah. if worst case scenario things get slow, I can always call somebody back up out of the million people I've met and uh, clients I've met and and other agency partners and things and say, hey, got any work for me? And they would probably all say yes. Like, please help. You know, we're right. drowning over here. Uh, so I always thought there was a kind of a safety net there, which I I think helps too. I, I don't want to discount that that I just went off and into the ocean and wasn't thinking about how I was going to take care of myself or my family or anything like that. I, I did kind of have a, a safety net or backup plan, but um, yeah, I went full steam ahead with Gridiron Labs and I was like, I just want to try. I want to give myself an earnest, you know, attempt at just doing something I love for, for a year or two, only things in sports. And it doesn't have to be just sports logos. It could be um, sports experiences, apps, um, right, whatever. Yeah, branding, uh, product ideas that are attached to sports. Like I worked on th- these new softball bats at one point called Baron Bats, and they had uh, sensors in them and stuff where you could actually like d- calibrate and dial in your swing with it and all this cool stuff. So the projects like that fit the bill. See, too. see, you're you're speaking my language, man, because this is all of that right there. I consider sports design, yeah. right? When I that's that's why I named make this podcast this thing because I didn't want it to be specifically based on branding. I want it to be pot. I want it to be pro, everything from products to marketing to design, and 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 I feel like too many people zero in on what sports is on their little piece of sports design and they think that's what it is. Yeah. And you know, the reality is there's not that many, if you want to go work full time, there's not that many jobs in this, in this space. Like, especially if you think about the, you know, how many creative directors are in the, uh, in the NFL as far as from a team perspective, right? There's one at each team. So that's not very many. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's not brand, just branding and social graphics for sure. It's, uh, I mean, once you, even if you get outside of team sports and go into action sports, there's tons of companies out there doing, Making golf clubs, tennis rackets, uh, uh, all know, the brands, e- man. Easton, I mean, there's so many brands. Uh, yeah, all these, all these companies hire hire designers, you know, and and yeah, I mean, not all of them do you have to be a, a product designer to, to to get the job, but right, um, a lot of them will do like on product branding too, which is kind of interesting if you want to kind of stretch outside of digital. Um, you know, golf clubs need graphics on them, either oh, yeah. ma- either manufactured in or 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 you know decals or whatever it may be, um, and those are great projects too. Those are still feel like sports, and and oh, th- they'll yeah, still get me going. 100%. You know, yeah, I love looking at that. I love looking at that stuff. Yeah. Um, so in in 2017, you applied and became associate creative director of the NFL in Los Angeles. Um, was that something that? kind of popped up in into your uh, into your view and you were like let me pursue this thing or did you kind of have in your head that I eventually want to work for the NFL because obviously there's kind of like this undertone of football for you mm-hmm. where you did all these football things and then even your studio called Gridiron Labs yeah yeah you know again I didn't really plan that either <laughs> it's like I just kind of uh, went with my instincts on things I, I didn't think about it too hard so retrospectively I probably shouldn't have narrowed myself not only into just sports but specifically football but uh, right. <laughs> but I guess it ended up working out uh, being that specific but uh, yeah no doubt <laughs> but yeah so I uh, yeah I will back up just a second, I, I did the helmet thing. It was more of an editorial piece um, that the the kind of helmet of the future. And it was really just, I'd been working with a carbon fiber company 
for a while and had been looking at the products they had been building and why they're building things out of carbon fiber. And I started to learn. I was like, wow, like technology is really changing. And oh, now Samsung has this, this LED that you can wrap around surfaces and uh, stuff. And I started, I started thinking, well, man, like it seems like the, one of the coolest wearable devices ever would be a football helmet, right? You could right. install cameras inside of it and, and change, you know, fans could, could look through the eyes of their favorite players and kind of flip through. Uh, a game experience like you could in Madden. Um, right. You could uh, you could build lighter helmets. You could build helmets that stay intact better and keep chin straps on better. Like I had just some product knowledge, some basic things that I was like, well, what if you know? What if I, in the I, I, the way I positioned it was like in the next ten to fifteen years, here's probably what you're going to see in in a helmet design. And maybe it was just even sporting equipment in general, but the helmet was a perfect kind of connection for me and so yeah I teamed up with one other person uh, his name's Chris Armstrong and he helped me a little bit with some of the like CAD modeling um, airtight modeling of, of, of a helmet um, that's a whole other engineer level right, um, right. <clears throat> outside of just the design itself um, and we kind of put this project together I spent a good amount of money on it in fact doing it um, just just on tools and everything else to get it done and it was really just an editorial piece is all it was. Um, and uh, the digital trends ended up pick, picking it up and doing a little you know, article on it or whatever. And people were really interested in this. I was getting emails and phone calls and stuff about from manufacturers and people going, hey, we want to build this helmet. We want to do something with it. Um, where do these ideas come from? What materials are you using? And I was like, honestly, I haven't done that much research on it. Like that's, that's millions of dollars worth of research, you know? Right. Like, right. Yeah. So it was more of an editorial thing, but definitely got some attention. And what had happened was I had a good friend of mine, uh, who is actually, uh, I think he was a, he was a VP of development or something at a, at a software company. And he knew a guy that knew a guy that knew the creative director at the NFL. And he, came to me one day with this crazy thing. He's like, I saw your helmet. He goes, you know, I know this guy who has a friend who knows the creative director at the NFL. I was like, all right, sure, buddy. You know, <laughs> is this Shane, uh, Shandon? No, this was, uh, Charlie DeMarco. Okay. Uh, and Charlie DeMarco was the sort of the VP of creative and product in LA. Gotcha. So he was pretty kind of the Shandon in LA. Uh, if gotcha. you will. uh, really brilliant guy too, by the way, if, if, if you ever get a chance to chat with him, um, you would dig him and his story a lot, but mm-hmm. He, um, I, I knew the NFL was here. I knew NFL Networks was in went LA, but I didn't really have a good sense of what they did here and what kind of people worked there and if I really even had a place there or anything. But I was like, NFL, cool. Yeah, I'm open for a contract at the NFL or something. You know, that ever came up. But I was like, oh, that's like two degree, two or three degrees away from the guy. I was like, eh, sure, man. So right. he connects me with this guy. I have lunch with this guy, and this guy's asking me questions about what I do and stuff. So I tell him, I send him my portfolio and don't think again about it. Um, thinking nothing's really going to come of it. And maybe two or three weeks later, Charlie calls me and goes, Hey, would you mind coming in and, and having lunch? Um, or whatever. And, and I was like, wow, that got, that got back quick. I had no expectations whatsoever that anything would make it to him. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to, love to sit down and, and, see what you're all about and, and whatever. And he goes, you do more for the NFL outside the walls of the NFL than the people inside do. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was like, really? And he, and he goes, yeah, I saw your helmet and a couple of these rebrand things you did or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, I, and I was kind of 
I was kind of taken aback by it. Like, certainly didn't expect it. But I also didn't even know how to talk to Charlie because I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know what they were looking for in a designer. Uh, I didn't know what NFL Networks really did, uh, other than obviously put on four or five you know live shows or whatever. I had, right. had to be more than that. I didn't know they had an app. I didn't know they did a, had a fantasy product. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I went in uh, to an interview with Charlie, and we just had lunch. He was very casual. He uh, right off the bat, this I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. W- what a brilliant dude! Um, just a little tidbit of insight he gave me in the few, half hour that we talked. I was like, wow, like this is is this out of my league a little bit? You know, I was like, uh, and so he, he asked me, he's like, well, what do you want to do here? Like, what would you want to do here? I, I love your work. You should work here. What do you want to do? And I was like, duh. <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't thought about it. Of course, I hadn't prepared myself. And I was like, well, you know, so you guys do product and content. And I kind of stumbled my way through this thing. And it was pretty much him talking the whole time. Yeah. And so I, I came back home and I was like, ah, dude, I totally blew that. You know, I just didn't know what I wanted. I didn't, I wasn't poignant about you know, <laughs> what I could bring to the table. Right, right. And normally I'm really ready for that stuff. I'm used to going on doing business development and everything. I was like, shit. So um, it's like you didn't have a specific ask, you know? I didn't it's have like- an ask. I was just meeting a guy for lunch and I, I just didn't have any insight into it. And somehow I think he saw around it, uh, thankfully. Um, and he brought me in again. He's like, I want you to meet some other people and, and, you know, let's do a more formal interview. Just want to, you know, so I met with Shandon. I met with, some of the other kind of um, director level folks around there, including the SVP, whose his name's David Jarenka, um, who ended up working, oddly enough, worked at Xbox when I was working at Surface at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So we reported to the same uh, VP. Uh, like he was closer to the VP than I was, obviously. But um, and, and so we had a little chat about that. But the interviews went really well. I, I met everyone. Everyone was super cool and you know not pretentious and. Um, totally enlightening to to me that you know the NFL in LA didn't just do network shows and which you know were full of motion graphics and people doing graphics packages, but they had a full product design team, UX designers. Um, they had content designers and a creative team that did kind of more marketing level work as well, who worked on events like Draft and Combine and Super Bowl and that sort of stuff. Really, just opened my eyes, and man, I got I got so excited from that. And so instantly after that interview, I was like, "Yeah, I was like, here, this is what I want to do." So I wrote up a proposal uh, for Charlie and sent it to him. And man, a couple of weeks later, they sent an offer letter. You know, it was like, "Wow, that was it." But so was that position essentially created, or was was did they have was they hiring an associate creative director at that time? Yeah, they had to create the position. So there wasn't oh, really wow. and, and full time heads there. Are pretty few and far between, and so Charlie had led both the content half of the house and the the product side of the house as well. And I think he felt a little like he was spread kind of thin, trying to like understand what the content strategy is for for all of NFL, and then also work on the product strategy for NFL. So he felt he like he was kind of doing two or three jobs, and he was um, because he's the only guy that could do those two or three jobs. And so they kind of had a, a director level person over product. And so he's like, you know, I think you'd be perfect on the content side, uh, which just means, you know, everything from all the owned and operated 
products like NFL.com and CTV and uh, you know social all the social media channels, all the video content that's created uh, that goes up on YouTube and NFL.com and et cetera, et cetera. He's like, you'd be kind of leading the design team that does that. And so I thought, great, yes, 100%, I'm in. Um, and so when I got in there, he actually had me kind of sit idle for about six months. So the position was so new that he didn't really have a way to like put me to work right away. Really? Uh, he said, you're going to kind of be a consultant for six months. So I want, you to, I want you to go around and meet everyone you can in the company and get a good read on everyone. And I want you to do an audit of what we do on the content side. I want you to look at everything we do and come up with a plan on how to make it better. Um, Dude, that sounds amazing. He was like, I'll ask you to help on certain things here and there. I'll just kind of try to give you some cool projects or whatever. He's like, just hang tight with me for six months on your, your well-defined position, you know? (laughs) So I was like, cool, I can, I can, I'm good with ambiguity. I'll roll with it. And so I was just this floater for six months that, Maybe even a little longer than that. Um, just kind of working on projects. So that's when I had called up Shannon. Which, which your multidisciplinary skills played perfect. It played into. perfect in that case. Yeah, I would go to the product team, and they needed help kind of visualizing some new fantasy football experiences and stuff. I was like, "Cool, I'll do some storyboards and animatics for you guys, and try to help you tell a story." And so, as projects like that, I called Shandon and said, "Hey, anything you need help with on on club identities, I'm your guy." And he was like, "Oh, really?" Okay, interesting. Cool. Yeah, I got a whole team of people here, but like, good to know. Yeah, apparently he's from Kentucky. Oh, is is he? Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been told. I've tried to connect with him a few times, but I I I can never get through as far as like reaching out to him or whatever. But yeah, yeah, man, he he's a he is a a Kentucky boy working in sports. Yeah, he still has a little bit of that. He still has a little bit of that Southern twang too I, I, that yeah. makes sense now that, <laughs> that he's, um, but yeah he's a, he's a great guy super busy guy um, but somehow somehow makes time when he needs to um, but anyways he was like yeah so I, I kind of went around went to the network people and was like hey I can help you out on this and that front and so I got to taste a little bit of everything it was like a sampler plate um, luckily which I couldn't have dreamed of you know um and then once my role got a little more established there and stuff you know of course i i was able to kind of get in the groove and know what i was there for but so it it did you know at the end of that six or nine months uh i did start to get a little worried i was like i was like does does anybody know what i do here (laughs) like if i say you know if if i come to the table with an idea is anybody going to take it seriously because i'm not really positioned properly because I was a technically an associate director or whatever, and right, and so by the next year I ended up, you know, being able to kind of graduate up to a, a you know, full blown creative director or whatever. But once I started managing, you know, fifteen people or so, um, they were like, okay, you know, you got to do the job first before we give you the title. Kind of that's sort right. of how they played it, and so they just gave me a chance to do that for a year, year and a half, and. and that's where I'm at now. But so, so the people that you're managing is it is it all designers or is it design and writers and content marketing? Good question. Yeah, uh, mine's mostly a creative. Uh, well, I shouldn't say creative, uh, but design focused. So I have illustrators, graphic designers, motion designers, art art directors, um, and the occasional editor 
Um, I brought in a couple of just brand identity guys that, mm-hmm. that, that can just kind of burrow down on, on brand identity. Um, yeah, stuff like that. That's, that's really the makeup of the team and, and super talented folks there too. Like the, God, the illustrators are amazing. And, uh, God, they do so much work outside of the NFL too. Like not outside of the NFL, but just kind of on the side, right? Yeah. They're, they're just, they're all really prolific people and have been there for a long time and, um, and have certainly taught me a thing or two. So, so, so one question I'm sure you get a lot, um, uh, is what is the, and, and you and I've spoken about this in DM before, but what is the, uh, difference between the creative team on the West coast versus the creative team in New York city. And do they, you know, I, I assume you guys work together. Where's the hierarchy and all those things? Uh, how do those places interact by coastally? You know, traditionally, I don't think they did much. The, the, the team in New York is really tied to marketing. And so they focus on, you know, club identity. They do a lot of things, but, uh, any, any brand that's attached to the league, whether it's a, philanthropic brand or an event like draft or super bowl or they handle all the events live events for uh for the nfl any branding related project and and a number of other things but they're considered a marketing an extension of the marketing team our team in la is a little bit more well it's kind of divided in three it's product so product and user experience uh like digital digital content which includes social media, digital video, everything, uh, some content franchise branding, things like that. And then we have the network team, who's all you know, a, basically a, a motion graphics team built for making graphics packages for shows. So that's kind of the anatomy of, of the creatives in general. And typically, there wasn't a lot of interaction between any of those uh, even the ones in LA, the three in LA didn't really talk to each other that much. And certainly not that much in New York, other than at, maybe at the VP level. Um, there's also a films team, creative team too. And they're, they're almost like a separate brand. But, yeah. Um, they're like a production company essentially that, that, that works in, out of New Jersey. Um, now but, is that spe- specifically NFL films? Like NFL that's films. The, what yep. we know as, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Only NFL films. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't talk to each other a whole lot. Uh, I started reaching out to Carlos Aguero, who's, uh, the, the network creative director and Shandon kind of on my own. I kind of started reaching out to them like, Hey, we should work together more, uh, and try to connect a little bit, traveled out there a couple times, um, just to build relationship and stuff. And now actually we're really intermingled quite a bit becoming more of one creative force because we're starting to think of the NFL as like a one house mentality. We're not a network slash production company slash product company slash <laughs> league anymore. Yeah. We're just, we're the NFL and these are the platforms that we, you know, that we support. Um, Dude, that's, that's big time, man. I mean, the fact that you closed off those, you guys, I guess, collectively were able to close off those silos and now you really almost have like a, it feels like from a branding perspective, you all are all, you're able to control more um, as far as, you know, people aren't kind of like cowboying off and doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. At that, and because it dupl- it's du- duplicative, right? We spend a lot right. of money on production and I think, you know, efficiencies for all companies has become a big word, you know, buzzword. And how do we, 
do this for less money kind of, you know, we need to kind of watch the, the budgets. And so we're like, well, the best way to do that is to get all these packages aligned. So why are, why are we creating one graphics package for game day and some other season theme for the NFL digital and then some other thing for draft and Super Bowl or NFL 100 or whatever it is? Like, let's pull these things together and have them all kind of use the same principles and tenets. And yeah, they can all have a little bit of their own personality, but they should be kind of rooted to, you know, by some foundation. So this stuff is easier to support all right. year round. Um, and so we've just really started getting in the swing of, of that um, probably in the last year, but it's, it's been great. And certain products of projects have brought us all together more like NFL 100 last year was a big one where everybody had to kind of just sort of leave their positions at the door and leave their, their organization at the door and come and help and figure out how to be a part of this thing and make it work. Cause there's so much to do. Um, and so that was the first one, uh, the new building that we're moving into in Hollywood Park uh, next to the Rams and Chargers Stadium uh, needs a lot of design help and in branded environments and experiences in the lobby and all this kind of stuff. And so we're all working on that together collectively, which has been really cool. And so now we're on a, like, we talk to all the creative teams, talk to each other three times a week now, at least. Wow. So very different from before. Um, and I definitely don't take all the credit for that for sure. It's, but is that the thing that you mentioned to me about, uh, like maybe me coming on and discuss or getting people out of their sort of, uh, bubble or whatever, or where you kind of lead like a, uh, Hey, like, like a, like a digital hangout, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Think of, think of all these people that, yeah, just live in a bubble year round, uh, with you know this kind of not so much now uh, i say the word job safety uh <laughs> uh carefully these days uh, after the pandemic started but oh yeah yeah like okay. everybody kind of gets rooted in what they do and I even i started listening to even some of my designers talk about themselves on on zoom calls and things like that and like how they introduce themselves and what they do and it's like yeah you know we you know we build templates and stuff and and uh just just do a lot of like media graphics and i mean this was kind of the this was the pitch and i was like i was like guys you're so underrating yourselves here like oh yeah uh, like yeah. like come on like inside so step in and go oh man dennis is this amazing and he is an amazing illustrator and and uh he's done this this and this and and i was like you know i my thought was like well these guys are just kind of doing the same thing every day and kind of in their bubble and I'd love for you to come on, uh, Adam, I'd love for you to come on and, and talk to them a little bit just about the industry and give them a sense of like how vibrant the sports design industry is and maybe some ways that they can kind of reach outside of their comfort zone a little bit and even just talk to other people in our industry that do what they do. And so I started a little bit of a, a, a just a, a weekly Zoom call called Between Two Pylons, uh, <laughs> yeah love it uh and so it's really super casual but we've done three or four of them so far and it's everything from um uh from sports designers to social media like design social media influencers to mm-hmm. uh, uh we had an artist on here uh, just like a, a fine artist on there the other day it was super interesting and captivating uh and i the the thought was that each one of the designers has to host their own person so I was like, now's the time that you reach out to somebody that you don't think you have access to or you think might be too busy right. to talk to you. Get them in the Zoom call and, and host it. 
walk them through questions, talk to them, get, learn something from it. Dude, that's good experience too, man. Cause these people are getting to, um, ha- learn how to have conversations. Yeah. Yeah. They you just know, don't have to right now. It, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the whole thing, it's actually pretty interesting, uh, that these people, um, and, and they're not the only ones, right? It's across the board. A lot of people sort of just, um, underplay what they do. And, and I mean, I think that we're not, you know, I always say this, it's kind of become cliche for me at one point, but we know that we're not curing cancer, right? But at the end of the day, we are providing entertainment. And, but, but also, uh, people should know on the outside that are looking in that there are still mundane things that happen in your sports design jobs or whichever brand you're working for or whatever. There's always think to this moment oh, yeah. where I, I had this guy, he's a great friend of mine, Xavier Jones. He, uh, he's a sneaker designer at Reebok and, um, he actually lives in Vietnam right now. Um, he, he spoke of this, uh, gentleman by the name of Dwayne Edwards, who was a design director for the Jordan brand at Nike. And Dwayne, um, oh, wow. he started this company called Pensole Academy and it is a, a sneaker design, a footwear design academy, um, which, you know, it's a very, almost like art school for sneakerheads. And he, he, he mentioned something wow. to, to Xavier and he said, if, if you're looking for happiness in a job, you're not going to find it. Right. And this is a guy who came from a design director at Jordan brand and all this stuff. And it just, I feel like it's good to have certain perspective and be like, totally. Everything is not 100% amazing. The grass is not always greener. Even in my own studio, right? People are like, you work for yourself. I want to work for myself. And it's like, dude, I have to send invoices and do things in QuickBooks that I do not want to do. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I have to answer emails on Memorial Day or whatever, right? Like, there's no, it doesn't end, you know? And then you have to think about how, where's the money coming from and whatnot. Of course, you know, you know that from the entrepreneurial side, but yeah. And it's really just about your perspective, man, the way that you spin it, because you could equally be like, listen, at the end of the day, um, I get to create things and, and maybe not every single thing that I make is going to be portfolio piece, but this is definitely, um, a huge blessing to be able to do this. Whereas, you know, where I live, there are people that deal with like methamphetamines and overdoses and, and, uh, uh, you know, there's farmers trying to figure out like what's, what's going on and, and working in the heat and all this stuff. So that actually is why I do love where I live and why I've stayed here because it helps give me perspective when I go see these people at the gas station. I'm like, you know, Adam, you thought your life is hard, man. Your life is not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. For real, man. That's I, yeah. Some retrospective, like appreciation for what you've done in your career is really important for people. And I, Everybody needs to to do that. I think. I think it's really healthy to look back and go, "What have I overcome?" And all the worries that I have, I've always been fine somehow. I've always found a meal uh, right. somehow. Like, don't put so much pressure on the work that you're doing to sort of return something for you. You know. Yeah, and if you don't do that, man, there's always something out there. You're always chasing the next thing, right? So if you don't reflect then it's just missed it's missed uh, opportunities of uh, of some joy right that you're, yeah. you're not gonna have yeah absolutely and I, th- I I think like you know uh, the kind of the sort of the side projects or the passion projects or whatever it's just yeah that's the one like let those be pure don't put pressure on those to be something at the end even a portfolio right. piece as you said like just it's part of the process and if you if you didn't start that one thing it never would have it never would have pushed you to do this other thing or I don't care how simple it is, you know, 
Um, yeah, no doubt, man. But yeah, it's it's important to find that time somewhere, and it it's also okay. And we're talking to one of the artists on one of our podcasts the other day. I was like, "Yeah, you're right, man." He's like, "Sometimes it's okay to come to your studio and do absolutely nothing." Yeah, it's okay to come in and be completely blocked and just know that that's also part of the process. You know, it's there's no such thing as dead time, right? Like, like you're you're developing no matter what you're doing, and so turn around and do something different. Turn around and build a a new doorstop or. <laughs> what, yeah. whatever you can get your hands on because that's it will lead to something yeah this uh, are you are you familiar with uh, Jessica Hish yes so she has this term she coined called procrasta working mm-hmm. she's like you know that thing you're doing before you actually get to your work that you just like keep procrastinating on yeah. that's the thing that you probably <laughs> should, should double down doing. on yeah <laughs> exactly you're not even yeah it just comes naturally it's innate in you yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So let's uh, let's talk uh, before we before we jump off. Let's talk NFL uniforms and branding. Uh, I know it's what a lot of people will be looking for on this thing. Um, obviously, the league has launched uh, recently uh, quite a few new uniforms and a couple of of rebrands. Some some, and it's always so interesting to me. Uh, I guess being a quote unquote self appointed historian of this sports design field um seeing how some things are received versus like how other things are received publicly and all that and and you know nfl things every single time really any sports brand it's all over the board right right it's like you can't even predetermine what people are going to think versus all this stuff so i'm curious just from a from a process perspective in as much as that that you can share um, what does, what is, what does one of those things look like? Right. Like, you know, take for example, the chargers, right. Very well received by the public as a whole. Um, what does that look like? Um, I, it's interesting. I, t- I think like if, if you look at the, the process, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of folks involved, right. You know, usually the clubs, it starts with the club really wanting to, um, to do something pretty specific. I mean, it, it changes depending on. So your, they make the first move often when they want to do like a rebrand, uh, like a logo redesign and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's typically how it goes, and it's it's really kind of consulting. I think Shannon Shannon and his team in, in New York do a good job of kind of consulting and saying, hey, you know, here's some things to be aware of, and and um, here's kind of what you're up against, and almost almost. Uh, uh, almost like a research and development arm for the clubs in a lot of ways. Um, b- being involved with Nike and, and the construction of uniforms and how to design for broadcasts and all of those things, all, all that knowledge kind of comes together and I, I think becomes a really good resource for the for the clubs to use. And of course, the clubs have their own, you know, you know, great kind of design briefs ready to go and and kind of do seem to do a lot of thinking about this before. Um, are the club creative teams involved in that or is it like executives? Uh, cause you know, sometimes, uh, designers at clubs can be more production based and yeah. And that kind of thing. In, in my experience, I, I can't, I can't speak for every, um, every project, but in my experience, yeah, to some degree, it, it really depends on probably the club and the size of their creative team and what kind of people they employ. Um, but yeah, they're they're usually involved to some degree up front in thinking about where to go. They know their brand the best. Um, they work with it every single day. They're in the trenches. Um, right. They know generally where they need to go. And yeah, but like anyone, they look for some outside perspective too, and um, that's really healthy as well. Um, so, 
So from a, uh, and if you can touch on this, then please do. If not, definitely let me know. Uh, from like a, a, a conceptual perspective, I mean, we know, we know publicly that, um, like say the Rams, right? There's like been Nike designers that have said, great to work on this or whatever and that kind of thing. Are all of these uh, sort of groups coming to the table almost like three, to, you know, you've got like the HQ creative, you've got the team creative, and then you've got Nike's field and team sports. Is everybody coming to the table with like their own kind of directions, like three different agencies or is there, um, are people kind of working together back and forth prior to those processes? Yeah, I'd say, I'd, I'd say truly, uh, this sounds like a kind of a vanilla answer, but yeah, it is truly pretty collaborative um, uh, process uh, across the board. And, and that's kind of on purpose, right? Uh, I think there are times where each, each team kind of burrows a little bit and goes off on their own and kind of thinks, thinks some things up and kind of develops in one direction or another and brings those back to the table, like any agency would. Um, so there are like no surprises, right? Like everybody shows up and it's like, oh, where did that come from? Rarely, in my experience, are there big, big surprises. It's usually all outlined in a brief, and and the briefs are great. They're some of the most thorough and and well put together briefs I've ever been a part of. Um, and I, I give kudos to to Shannon and his team. They they write really great briefs. Does does his team do the discovery mostly, or um, like does Nike throw in on some of the discovery? How I'm does not, that part? You know, actually, I don't have much insight on. Nike's role there, uh, believe it or not. I, I know, yeah, I know Shannon's team and, and, uh, does, um, they do a lot of the discovery work. Yeah. And it's, and it's kind of calibration, right? Here's, here's your history. Here's what, you know, here's what's, here's some trends happening in other sports and, you know, uh, here's where the industry's kind of moving. Uh, they just give context, constant big picture right. type of, uh, context, which is really helpful, I think, for the clubs to have, and and then on the other side of the clubs, know really well their brand inside and out, down to the you know down to the nuts and bolts, and so those two things together, I think, tend to tend to work pretty well, um, and yeah, and so, but beyond that point, I, it's pretty collaborative, and and really, I would say that that ultimately, you know, at the, at the league, we we work for the clubs is kind of how we think of it, right. Um, we're not some overarching uh, director of the project or anything like that. I think we really do kind of uh, support and consult with the with the clubs on what they want to do, um, and provide insight where it's, it's sometimes it's welcome, sometimes it's not. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of how we position ourselves. So the ultimate decision is made by the club executives, as far as uh, oh yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, there's no, there's some, you know, there's some nuances and things like that. Like, hey, you got, we got to be careful of this. Like, consider that. Here's some of the, right, right. Here's some of the down in the weeds NFL rules to be aware of and and or things to avoid and stay away from. But yeah, ultimately, I think uh, creatively, it comes from the clubs, and then the clubs really are, are really responsible too for the launches. Right? They have to do these big crazy launches and all the videos that you see that come out. I mean, uh, kudos to the clubs for those. I mean, yeah, they, and those of those of all. I mean, across the board, those have all been so freaking good, man. Like what? Uh, you know, actually, this brings up with um, with the the Falcons, right? Like I was speaking to to Mike Benford down there oh, yeah. DMs the day, like the day that their uniform leaked. And, and he, and it was like, Holy cow. Like literally that morning we were speaking 
And then the uniform leaked, and then he kind of went AWOL in the conversation, understandably, <laughs> uh, because he had to now put all his resources, and that team stayed up all night to get all that stuff done. So from a from that perspective, I think it's pretty much, you guys probably understand, right? I would assume that now you pretty much know something's going to be leaked, right, at this point. how Like, how do you handle that, I guess, uh, internally, like as a creative, mentally, understanding that something's going to be leaked. It's not going to be in the full context. Now it's going to be judged based on this little tiny piece of context. Yeah, it's um, it's hard. I mean, what do you do with a leak other than, uh, other than uh, kind of be aware of it, um, aware of maybe how it changes the perception and what you're going to be launching for? I imagine it does, uh, in some cases, um, affect your launch, you know, uh, the way you tell your story. Um uh, oftentimes, though, the clubs will kind of stick, from what I've experienced again, uh, they'll kind of stick to their guns with their story and their plan and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it, It's one of those, at my, this is my personal take on it. Um, I, I'm not speaking for the, for the clubs or the league here, really, but my thought is like, it, it's something that comes and goes so quickly. Like a leak is, is I don't know, sometimes they seem to be more bad than good for some reason. Uh, but it's always like a low res picture from some like yeah, shipping guy or whatever. It is. And, and it's like, and it's like, it doesn't really matter what it is. You know, it's going to have some kind of negative connotation and people are going to draw their own conclusions, which is very dangerous and right. uh, not desirable. Um, and so it's like, just come out with your launch really strong. And th- th- mostly the leak will be forgotten uh, right. in a short time. And so just focus on your launch and, and make it the best it can be and um, make sure that your story is intact and, and that you have sort of an answer for that. And for, the clubs really know this better, uh, but yeah, some of the, the conversations they have to have around the league when something like that happens uh, or, or when they're launching, what nuances they change when they launch based on a leak or something. But right. um, they kind of know that a little better than I do. Yeah. What what um what would you say is uh what is what is the the public obviously has a misconception a lot of times when these things come out uh, what 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 would you want the public to know I guess that you in normal circumstances don't have the opportunity to tell about one of these things like whether they're judged a certain way or how things come out you know accidentally leaks or whatever is is there anything that you would like to say you know, from a, a creative at the NFL's perspective, not necessarily speaking directly for the NFL, but a designer that's involved in these processes. Is there anything you'd like to say that a message you would like to get across that's like, hey, man, just remember this? Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, I just just know that that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people involved in these in these, you know, these rebrands. And, and uh, there's a lot of research done. There's a lot of perspective uh, there's a lot of like thought about these things. And, and I think so that that's kind of giving some, some respect, right. To the, to the, to the process and the teams that work on these things. And, and I've have a sort of a renewed appreciation for what goes on. And, you know, for us working on some of the smaller things, like I'll, I'll take the FXFL for it. That's me. That's me in my studio working on those mostly uh, with one or two bits of input. Uh, and, when I get to release, I get to release it the way I want to mostly. Um, it does get out of my hands at some point into the hands of somebody else, but um, there's not a, there's not a lot of input 
and, and you have a lot more control. And these, you know, brands of this size, I mean, you got to, these are mega brands, man. These, right. any one of the NFL teams or NBA teams or Major League Baseball teams. Global, man. You know? I mean, they compete with some of the biggest brands in the industry just individually as, as teams, let alone the league as a whole, you know. Right. Um, I Some interesting, so I think we did a study a while back. There, There are more Dallas Cowboy fans than there are UFC fans. Are you serious? Combined. Wow. Yeah. Now this is this is a little while back, but you know yeah. what I mean. Like just for some scale, right? Like it's it's insane. Um, so on a on a brand of, of that scale, like it's there's a lot going on, and those the process isn't isn't two months or three months. It's sometimes it's years. Right. Of going back and forth. Do we change this? Can you imagine the cost and the amount of media that needs to be reworked to do a rebrand? And right. like like how like really just how much it costs to do it. Like it's a it's a huge, 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 huge undertaking. And so when you appreciate that scale of it, it like you have a little bit of like I think you have a little more leniency as to what like the results end up being and you know the idea that they're kind of thinking a little bit ahead. Like nothing, no change is ever really good. It's it's pretty hard to come out with a change where people are like, "You nailed it." You know, when right. it comes to somebody that's passionately followed a team for forty years and knows their history, and it's almost impossible, I think, to come out with something dramatically better. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, and it's funny enough. It always almost seems like that throwback uniforms always are like positively received, but it's because we have like hindsight context, right? Yeah, they, exactly. They, they remember that from that time, but when that if, when that would have come out in that time, they would have been just as upset, you know? Right, and you got to you got to look back too at, at any any of the other you know uh, sort of uniform changes and brand changes along the way for any other teams. Those were new at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like those were all new brands Absolutely. or rebrands yeah. at some point that that people now look back at like completely fossilized as legendary. Right. Uh, so you got to kind of, as a as a fan, I guess, as an appreciator of of <laughs> these sports brands, you got to sort of leap ahead a little bit and go, okay, what's this going to feel like ten years from now? Um, it's all what you do with it, right? I, I think you can almost almost put anything out there, and if you if you if you nurture that identity really well, you know, it it'll be successful. You know, it'll yeah. be successful over time, and so. Well, it's it's a and plus it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. Like you gotta, we gotta judge these things based on how they look over time and how they're applied. Yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, I, I think if something comes out and it's like boom, they nailed. That's the most amazing. It's that, that thing will probably be short lived. You know. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I've seen things come out from brands, you know, across the board, uh, across sport, or even consumer brands where I see the initial logo and I'm like, eh, I don't know that that's for me. But then mm-hmm. later I see it activated. I'm like, I really like it now. I love what they did with this, the way that they activated this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had, we had a lot of, and I'll take the, the weight off the, the clubs for a second, but even like the 100, the NFL 100 identity and um, God, I, I think we, we worked on thousands of things. I mean, uh, thousands of variations of, of, of logos for that. The clubs were involved with that as well. Like, the, like uh, some of the club creatives uh, included some concept development uh, in that process uh, as well. And it just, it, 
inspiration from everywhere. All these things come in and we ended up sort of in a place where uh, we did lots of, of not only, not only research on that, but like uh, we did polls and things too uh, on some of these designs to get kind of, you know, where are people kind of leaning and, and we didn't just show them on a white page. We showed them kind of uh, applied on a hat on the badge on the Jersey uh, around the necklace of the Jersey and, everywhere and you you kind of start to appreciate like okay well i can kind of see why we ended up falling more toward that direction because it did have to be kind of bulletproof for a whole year on a thousand different applications you know (laughs) whereas the one i think that you could appreciate the most on a white background that's like the most beautiful centennial logo just wouldn't have held up at all right and so like there some of those are really tough compromises to make I, i think um like like where we landed with it, you know, frankly, is is uh, maybe wouldn't have been the choice I would have made personally on it um, uh, with, with our kind of top top choices uh, that we had on the table. Mm-hmm. But after working with it for a year and 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 kind of seeing how it rolled out and seeing all the applications that it ended up uh, uh, becoming a part of and all the way up to the to the Super Bowl, um, I was I appreciated it so much more, you know. Once we got to that point, after I saw it animated in the in the um, in the new brand ID for NFL 100 Originals and things, I was like, oh, this is so it's it's cool." And it just really depends on what you do with it. Well, you know what's funny, man? I actually even associate it with the '72 and Sunny campaign. Mm-hmm. Like it just yeah. all like it's all looped together, like the context of the whole thing. Do, does your group interact with '72 and Sunny much, or is that more like marketing? Uh, not a whole lot. It's it's really marketing, and uh, it's really the marketing team's kind of kind of right hand but yeah i mean you're you're absolutely right like those things all kind of kind of weave together and 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 again just like commending the team for like crossing a bunch of of barriers uh and and having all these teams talk to each other that normally don't talk to each other to do something kind of special like that uh was pretty cool to see um, yeah, and that's everything from the roundtables they did on network to the the all-time team to yeah to the to the uh, the Super Bowl commercials, both of them, yeah, really excellent experience, and we're still trying to figure out, like in retrospect, how to like capture that project. <laughs> you know, yeah, when you yeah. think about, yeah, let's do kind of a a, 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 a sort of a wrap up of this project. And I know I talked to Shannon about it a few times. It's like, oh my god, where do we start with this thing? You know, right? Like, how do you even envelop all that? And so we, I think, we're still working on it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that'll be it'll take it'll take a year to develop your uh, case study for the, <laughs> the yeah. campaign. But yeah, I've never I've never done I've never done more logo variations on any one brand than I've done for that. Really? Uh, wow. And I again, I wasn't the only person contributing ideas to that to that either. Um, like I said, there were members of the clubs, there were the entire team in New York, um, just a wide variety. But I personally even created hundreds of variations that went into that process so so you're not speaking hyperbolically when you say thousands of concepts right yeah I've literally and i i was trying to i was dreaming of a way to try to pull all these together in one huge board and, and put it into some sort of motion piece or something but we'll see if it it would be crazy if you guys did a like a coffee if you did like a coffee table book of all of the, right. all of the concepts designers yeah. would snatch that up Oh God, there's so many weird things in there too, kind of buried in it. I mean, it got you got mesmerized by the number 100 after a while. It was like, you know, when you look at a word too long and you're like, 
Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was me for the number 100. <laughs> That's funny. Well, cool, man. Um, I, uh, you know, I could talk to you about this stuff all day, man. This is, this is obviously something that, that we're both passionate about and your experience within the NFL. Yeah. And I love how we cross over with the multidisciplinary stuff. So we could, we could deep dive on interface design versus, you know, anything else. So it's, it's been a very enjoyable conversation. Is there anything that, um, you know, maybe I, I am too ignorant to ask as far as like question wise that you wanted to kind of get out to the listeners, you know, telling your own story a little bit. Um, well, I, I would say more just like, just, I, I suppose for, you know, you know, I know everybody maybe listening is, is in sort some sort of different, you know, avenue of our design industry. Um, ho- hopefully somewhat related to sports, I'm guessing, but you know, I, all I can say is like, man, like try to follow your instincts as much as you can and not, not rely on too much analysis. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's my main message to everyone yeah. is like, is like, follow your instincts listen to yourself, listen to your process. Like, like don't overanalyze and don't feel like that. I guess just don't feel like you need input from 50 sources to get, to get your, your work done. Like, like have a little bit of faith and, and uh, yeah, keep, keep pushing on your instincts. Awesome. Well, Dane, man, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been great getting to know you over the last few years and, uh, yeah, man, we'll stay in touch. Can you leave listeners with your preferred social accounts, uh, that they can follow you and keep up with your work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Twitter, it's just at Dane Storston or at Gridiron Labs and, uh, you know, same thing on, uh, on Instagram. It's, uh, Gridiron Labs. Awesome. Uh, do everything there. And, and Adam, we got to collaborate on some projects, man. I have a new new respect for you as well with uh, kind of learning your past and and your uh, multifaceted design experience. So let's let's do something. Absolutely, man. Well, you know, I'll I'll uh, gladly accept your strategy of saying yes to everything and <laughs> <laughs> be careful. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, man, we'll be in touch. Hopefully, hopefully, everyone enjoys. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It was great. Thanks again, Dane. My next guest is going to be Dan Simon of Studio Simon. Dan is one of the pioneers of sports branding. His work has ranged from minor league baseball identities to professional sports branding to a Super Bowl logo, as well as working for Disney. Dan is also a fellow sports designer here in Kentucky that I've known for nearly a decade. Uh, You can follow Dan and his work on Instagram at Studio Simon. And then his website is studiosimon.net. Big thanks again to Dane Storston for coming aboard the podcast and sharing about his career and experience with the NFL. Again, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Dane Storston. That's D-A-N-E-S-T-O-R-R-U-S-T-E-N. And then his freelance studio is at Gridiron Labs on both Instagram and Twitter. Past Makers of Sport episodes can be found in Apple Podcasts at makersofsport.com slash iTunes, on SoundCloud and Spotify, or at the website makersofsport.com. 
If you enjoy the sponsor-free content coming from Makers of Sport and are interested in keeping it ad-free, you can support the show by becoming a member of the community, which can be found at makersofsport.com community. In exchange for your fiscal support, you'll have access to additional and ever-changing content such as private Q&As with future former and special guests, community video hangouts, as well as interact, share private, trustworthy feedback, and build relationships with like-minded individuals in the live chat. You'll also receive a 20% discount on all Makers of Sport products. Speaking of those products, Makers of Sport does have an official apparel store now. That can be found at makersofsport.com slash store. There will be new designs launching from time to time, and then every single purchase of the Makers of Sport brand goes back into the company to allow me to continue writing, researching, and bringing as much educational and historical sports design content to you for free. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, click the five star, and write about your positive experience with the show. This helps others like yourself discover the podcast and the value it brings educationally to people wanting to work on the creative side of the sports business. If you cannot support the show fiscally, I do want to emphasize that these comments are a great way to show your support and love. I read all of them. It helps keep me going. And I'll also accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.